Hello and welcome to TechCrunch's Found Podcast. I'm Daryl Etherington, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by the coach to my aspiring athlete, would-be bodybuilder. <laughs> That's what you'd want to be as a bodybuilder? Yeah, you're, you got to get me into shape, whip me into bodybuilding shape. I need to yeah. like uh, go up there and, you know, get all, I need to get greased up and get and do the fake tan and pull the poses. Well, I'm Jordan Crook, and I'm probably ill-equipped to do that. I'm actually on my way to go contract E. coli poisoning from Chipotle after this. So, But mm. we can work towards it. I love Chipotle. Chipotle is health food. <laughs> this yeah. episode brought to you by Chipotle. Uh, sponsored by McDonald's. It's not actually sponsored by anything. But that's good, because we can tell whatever stories we want, which is how we like it. This week, we're telling you a great story about Alexandra Bonetti from The Talent Hack. So she's the CEO and founder of The Talent Hack, which is a platform that provides business tools for fitness instructors and trainers and coaches and gives them basically everything they need to get their business going as an indie provider of those services. It's a thing that I think Jordan wants because she's a She's a fitness trainer, as we just established. I'm not a fitness trainer. I'm the opposite of a fitness. <laughs> I'm a sleep trainer, if anything. I'm a rest trainer. I mean, I thought Alexandra had a bunch of interesting things that she talked about in this conversation. And we didn't get to even like half of them because I've covered Talent Hack before. And she's a very interesting founder. And we only scraped the surface, but it's still jam-packed with cool stuff. It was great. And her experience as, as a gym owner herself previously definitely influenced her perspective on creating this product. She can tell you more about that. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hear from Alexandra. Hey, Alexandra, how's it going? Hi, Daryl. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So we're super excited to hear more about your founder story. But do you want to give us just kind of like a high level overview of what the talent hack is and maybe also what spaces by the talent hack is? Yep. So talent hack is a vertical SaaS full stack career platform to empower fitness and wellness talent to achieve financial wellness, which means that we build software to power fitness and wellness creators and their relationship with their clients. And Spaces is our software product. So within our suite, we have a job board, we have education, we have a community product, and Spaces is is the, the software, the transaction platform. Yeah. So I would love to hear about how you got into this business. Like my understanding of it, I think Jordan knows more about it because she wrote an article for the website that we work on <laughs> called TechCrunch. <laughs> for me, it looks like a Shopify, but like for personal trainers is my understanding of it. Is that... Is that like a fair metaphor for it or analogy? Very fair. Yes, it's a business in a box for fitness and wellness creators. So personal trainers, fitness instructors, meditation teachers, health coaches, nutritionists, um, everyone who powers our, our vertical. And the majority of our talent want to spend their time programming, building community, not necessarily segmenting their client base for optimal marketing tactics. So I think the biggest difference is that I think of other platforms as systems of record. They kind of record who comes, who goes. They build you the business tools to run your business. We think about a system of action, which which is how can we action on behalf of our creators to really supercharge their growth. So we are segmenting the clients in the background. We're marketing as much as we can on behalf of the creators themselves. So that's the biggest difference. Great. 
Right. So how did you come to this as like something you wanted to do? Were you a creator yourself or was it just something you recognized as a gap in the industry or what was kind of the origin story there? Both. (laughs) I owned and operated fitness studios in New York for close to 10 years. And the first probably three years of that, I was teaching most of the classes. The first year I was teaching all the classes. It was just me mm. running the the entire shop. And as we grew and we had more locations and our staff grew in number, it became harder and harder to hire great instructors, great coaches, great nutritionists to power the business. And I also realized that there was a big power dynamic imbalance Mm. where the studio and the business had all of the financial leverage not to say that we were you know raking it in and it was a super profitable business but the power was sitting on the business and it felt like the majority of the heavy lift was coming from the talent you know they were programming the classes playlisting building the relationship reaching back out to clients to bring them back in responding to their social media dms and that grew over time. You know, when I opened my first studio, Instagram didn't exist. And, and right. you can imagine how much creators have gained in power, but the financial leverage was still not on their side. So it came both from, you know, I wish I had it as a creator and as a small business owner. And there's a really clear power that these creators have in their hands and they're having a really hard time capitalizing it. Mm-hmm. How, how can we help them, you know, get paid what they deserve? It didn't really exist, right? Like pre-Instagram or pre-other uh, social platforms. Like you had trainers and people liked their trainers, but it was, I guess, all word of mouth, right? Like you had no real reach beyond your immediate geography, really, did you? Or maybe people did and I'm not aware of it, but I don't think that category of celebrity existed at the time, right? Or like influencer. Yeah, this the scale is is very different, right? Ten years ago, you still taught at a gym, you taught at a studio, you had your private training clients, and maybe you know you taught at a park. But now you have fifty people in a class, a few hundred clients that you can serve, and and I think that the pandemic was definitely a catalyst to mm-hmm. the talent realizing that they could scale their business without the middleman. And it was also proof to clients that they could transact directly with their talent and build a relationship directly with them, which, you know, it it feels more personal. It's more exciting for you to put money in the pocket of your creator when that's fair. You know, other times you want to go to a business and get your eucalyptus smelling towels and shower in the facility and and then you pay that business. So I think that there's a, a really good case for these options to exist. So how much of this do you think that was precipitated by like the Peloton, like Peloton had their phenomenon where like, you know, people started, oh, I have my favorite trainer on the Peloton. And then, and then for me, my experience with it a lot has been through Apple Fitness actually, because I am an adamant user of Apple Fitness and, you know, their trainers come on and I'm like, oh, like there's actually a guy named Daryl on there now. And I'm quite partial to him because we have the same name, but, (laughs) but, but like, how much did that help? Was that a big factor in it too? And kind of like turning this into a category of like mega influence? Yeah, I think the what, what you're referencing is our kind of passion for personalities. I would attribute it to social media more than, you know, pre-social, you had celebrities, but now you can really follow people, right? Different personalities. And so I think that that's been really amplified by social media. The, the second trend that you're referencing is the unbundling of the gym. And that I think has, has been happening for a while, but that was more precipitated by, by the last 
few years of, of people having to figure it out on their own. Right, right. And what do you think the relationship of that is going forward? Like, do you think they continue to coexist productively or is there a lot of friction there? Like, are you seeing a lot of pushback from the gyms about like, well, we don't really want trainers to set up as independents. The customer relationship must be at issue or at contention, even mm-hmm. though we're talking about how like they can be very different things, but like mm-hmm. somebody... I know really like their trainer and then they like moved away and then they want maintain the relationship with the trainer so they can do like at home remote sessions with that person because they have a lot of high level of trust and whatever, right? Like how much is that an issue of contention? Mm-hmm. If I were to, to generalize for the industry as in having sat in the chair of being a studio owner, you kind of are forced to play into it because your talent hold the relationship to the client, right? So right. if they leave, that's not, you don't want to be in that position. You really want to be in a position where where your talent loves working where you are. And so it takes that dance to, to make that really productive and positive. Um, if I were to cut it, right, and, and take a micro look at it, it's a super fragmented industry. It's hundreds of thousands of small shops across the US and across the world. And different studios have very different approaches. So you have mostly the the bigger studios the big franchises mm-hmm. who are really the minority you know they take up a few percentage points of the market they want their talents to be their talent and they can pay accordingly so they can hire people full time the large majority of the industry is made up of small businesses who have call it 10 instructors or you know 20 instructors you don't give them a full-time job they're working 5 10 15 hours a week at your studio so you know that they're they have other jobs they have to in order to to pay their bills and there's a a really positive symbiotic relationship when studios are pro that so the same followers who are following them on social media and taking their zoom classes are showing up to their in-person classes and that's a really big top of funnel discovery moment for clients to also end up in in the brick and mortar shops so if, if i had to bet on it i would bet that the majority of the, of the industry really plays into it and is getting more out of that symbiotic relationship than not yeah, that's good to think about because it's like no one's thinking like, oh, I own this person or I or the relation their customer relationship is my customer relationship, right? They're thinking like we're working together to achieve these kind of things, and like maybe they go, but it kind of comes out in the wash because maybe somebody else comes and they bring their customer base when they come, and, and maybe there's some whales though. Maybe there's some fitness whales out there who are like, is that true? Is it lumpy? And that like there's some people who account for the majority of the spend in the fitness industry, or is it kind of like? evenly dispersed in terms of like who pays and how much they pay in the industry yes there are you know the the big companies peloton being a really obvious Mm. you know 30 billion market cap company in on our platform it's creator economy textbook definition you know there's a really nice distribution the people who are making most of the money don't necessarily have the biggest audiences so we have people on the platform with a few thousand instagram followers who are making $30,000 a month in revenue. And we have people with 30,000 followers who are making $10,000 a month in revenue, you know, so so it's you realize how important the depth of the relationship to the consumer really is kind of beyond the numbers, which is more of the, the fluff. 
And do you offer assistance with that part of it? Do you offer like analytics and kind of like how to do, how to build stronger relationships and maybe more profitable over time relationships? Yeah. So we think about our tech, however much the technology can do for them, we action on that. And that's, Mm. that's our number one line of defense. But we really believe in the power of the creator and that relationship that they cultivate with their client. And we think that we're never going to be able to replace with technology, nor do we want to, you know, really think about building technology that empowers the human connection, not doesn't replace it. Right. And, and so we really encourage that, that really special connection that people have with their coaches across wellness pillars. And we do that through education as much as possible. So we have courses from how to build a community to how to build your personal brand and social media. The things that we know that, you know, even the best ML and AI are, is just not going to get right. You know, there's no Mm -hmm. soul to it. So, so that's, we really try to empower the creator as much as possible through education. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I've never turned to AI or like computer generated. I can't imagine it would be good. <laughs> I don't know. Or it might be like scarily good one day, right? Like it might be like, this is exactly yeah. what Jordan has to do to be <laughs> yeah. successful with her soft skills. <laughs> And that actually, that is how we think about algorithmics. I won't go into the AI ML specifics, but how we think about algorithmically delivering a better service for our technology is we can remove a bunch of the stuff that humans don't need to do or don't want to think about or don't need to figure out themselves so that they can have more time to really connect with each other, right? So I can better guide your wellness journey. I can more easily recommend who you should see and how long that next workout should be and how to push yourself and set goals, all of that via technology. Um, But then your coach shows up and that's where the science and the data really proves that having that person is going to keep you in it for longer. You're going to enjoy it more. And that's ultimately when when you see results and and where the impact comes from. Jordan, me and you are going to build an app that just sends you a push notification like on a schedule determined by algorithm. And it's like, do 20 crunches now. I thought you were talking about AI. I think we're talking about AI that could replace the education she's talking about. Like. Which would be even better. Yeah, I know, I know. But I want I want that app to live in the world. Run a mile, just like randomly. <laughs> no, I do, yeah, grab dumbbells. You're in the middle of a Zoom call, it's like, run a mile, you failed. 18 like, really girls angry now. Too. Like nothing encouraging about it, just like... We're laughing about it, but it's almost real, right? Like your watch now says like, stand up. And you're like, come on. I, I know, can't. it's I- like, breathe. I'm like, don't tell me to breathe. Like, <laughs> as soon as you tell me to breathe, then I start thinking that I have to tell myself to breathe. Wait, am I breathing? And if I have to tell myself, then I forget. <laughs> My body's like, oh, you're telling me to breathe, so I don't have to do it for you. And then I feel like I can't breathe. It's really vicious cycle. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a focus group right now. <laughs> That's what this turns into. Every I'm, yes, I'm writing fail. things down. I have a question for you. I assume that the entry point for Talent Hack was like, okay, there are a bunch of existing fitness creators out there, wellness creators out there, like, let's bring them on. But then we're also seeing like on the side, this whole great resignation thing. And, mm-hmm. and like a super big jump and boost in people's interest in things like fitness and wellness, right? Like with the pandemic layered in, everyone was like, am I going to die? And they were like, I better get healthy. I'm curious if like what what it's looking like on your side in terms of like new creators, like and is Talent Hack a good place for them? Or do they need to be established and kind of have an existing following and have like, what do, what's your take on that? 
just recently, you know, in the past six months, more than we have since we started, we've seen a lot of new people joining the workforce. It can be as a hobby, right? As a part-time, you want to teach one class. We see a lot of moms trying to teach a few classes after drop-off to make some extra cash, as well as people leaving their jobs and and doing this full-time. And a few things I'll say. One is, yes, Talent Hack is a place where you can get started. You might not start selling content straight away, or you might start with our education. But what's really interesting about this industry's education is that Every Pilates and yoga studio that you've ever walked into has an education arm, right? They, they certify people in, in their method. And there are, call it 10 really large companies that kind of own education in the space, certifications that were established 30 years ago. And so the education that people are consuming right now is relevant, right? I mean, anatomy, programming, things that you need to know how to do as a trainer, but you're kind of missing the other half that's evolved in the past 30 years. People are, are how, how do you build community? How do you build digital brands? How do you sell on social media? If you have clients, they're not just asking about fitness anymore. They're coming to you about sleep, about nutrition, about mental health. And that doesn't mean that you need to be a nutritionist, but you need to know some basic science and data. And so we think a lot about how do we empower and how do we educate this next wave of creators, be it part-time to full-time. What does the modern creator need to know that's not necessarily being taught right now? So all of that to say, Talent Hack is a really good place to start. And I would argue is the best place to start because you really are getting a more holistic education into the practice. And whatever we can teach, we send you to the right place. So we're sending, you know, we're sending you to the right certifications and we have really close relationships with all of them. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. I can remember like the first time I got a gym membership, which I remember using it once and then not ever again. Like I used it for one day and then I paid for it for the entire year and I did not use it one other day. And it, it was pretty funny. You are but, all of us, Daryl. <laughs> but you got a gym membership? This was like, this was a long time ago. This, I don't even want to say how many years because I'll be dating myself, but like... <laughs> But my, my point is, I remember going to that and there was like a trainer that they assigned me for like the intro session or whatever. And it never even would have occurred to me to be like, oh, like, what should I be eating or like anything mm-hmm. else? Mm-hmm. Again, dating myself. But like at that time, I was like, oh, you're the muscles guy. I go to you and you teach me how to get the muscles. And then and that's all I need. Right. I mean, yeah. I feel like 10 years ago, we weren't thinking about all the different levers that wellness has. And it's so complicated to navigate, even with, you know, the best app and you can be wearing all of your wearables and you have all of the data. Translating that into action is is extremely overwhelming. Yeah. And yet people assume 
that if you're the fitness person, like now it's changed entirely. Now the assumption is you'll be able to tell me all about all of it. I'll go to you and be like, okay, so like, well, how should I change my diet? How should I change my activity? How should I change my sleep pattern? And you'll have all the answers to it, mm-hmm. right? Which is, mm-hmm. that's a lot of stuff to keep track of. Yes. And it's yep. it's crazy that we do expect that now, right? Yep. And that's where I think technology can be really powerful for creators, right? It's, it's like, sure, we do payment processing and that's all great, but how can we deliver answers to creators all you know all the answers that they need in real time so that they don't need to become scientists and doctors in a bunch of different Mm -hmm. ways and they can really just focus on being your coach which ultimately once you boil it down you know and you peel the onion that's what everyone loves about their instructor they're driven to their personality and whatever archetype they have for jordan clearly she wants a drill sergeant in in her app so (laughs) i want to be the drill sergeant to be clear <laughs> Jordan wants to be a creator and the drill sergeant. Do it. <laughs> but really you are you're you're attracted and you're going back and you know you get you get kind of enamored with that person's personality and, and that happens to you in, with your Peloton. You know, if you hang out with a bunch of Peloton people, they all they want to talk about is what trainer do you take and, yeah, and why. Bizarre. Right. So so it always goes back to personality. So how can we really elevate that? point about them and just help them out and and everything else so that they're really administering great impact to their client. Yeah, we had a Peloton trainer that came to one of the sessions at Disrupt and was in the chat and the chat went, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, our chat is like fine, like people comment and like say things and ask questions and share their startups. But like, I think it was Ali Love or someone. They were like, Ali, is that you? you? I love you, Ali, I love you, Ali. It was like having like a rock star in the Disrupt chat. It was wild. I love it. I have a question here. This is actually from Maggie Stamets, our associate producer. The name of the company is pretty broad. Like it's just talent hack, right? And it seems like you can apply that to a lot of other categories. Is the thinking that like eventually you will apply this to other categories as well beyond fitness or what's kind of the, or just, or if it's not, just kind of give us a little background into the behind the scenes of the the branding there. So talent is an industry word. I think when people from outside of the industry see it, they think more HR within Mm. our industry because we have so many names for people, trainer, teacher, instructor, coach, guru, health coach, nutritionist, the blanket term that we use is talent. And I think it, it comes from photo shoots, you know, from call sheets, from talent call sheets well, and so, yeah maggie and yashad call us the talent right? everyone calls me actually that. they don't they don't do that because <laughs> they know we're not talented you so. guys get it <laughs> well yeah yeah we're like talent as a as a term but not as an like an adjective in any way <laughs> so that's an industry word and and hack it's just it's always felt harder than it should be in this industry for me since the beginning. I just always felt like I was reinventing the wheel. And I think it's because we're so fragmented. You know, there just there aren't a lot of economies of thought and collective wisdom in our industry because there's not a huge corporation. We don't have PNG, mm-hmm. you know, leading R&D. And so I've always felt like, how can I give talent good hacks? You know, not necessarily shortcuts, but smart cuts. Just help them do things better and faster. So that's where the name comes from. And in terms of being verticalized into this industry, I hope so. I mean, that's the vision. And I think that you unlock a lot of power in your data 
in one industry. So everything that we've talked about that we could create for the consumer, for the talent comes from deeply, deeply understanding the industry, right? As soon as you open yourself up to others and it's a lot harder to produce real impact on both sides, on the creator side and the client side. So so yeah, the goal is definitely to stay in fitness and wellness as a category. And it's a big, it's a really big industry. Like you said, though, this is, this brings back the Shopify example to me, because it's like you just take the things like Jordan's laughing because I, I didn't even say that I worked there. OK, Jordan, <laughs> now I did. Now you made me say it. But there's these things that are available to large companies in the industry and that are not available to everybody else. And everybody else has to kind of like relearn them or reinvent them over and over and over again because there's no... Or not even, you know, just or try to figure it out and never figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just yeah. fail. Like yeah. by doing the same thing a hundred others have done before them and failed that, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I'll give you a really easy example of when I was running studios, which was subbing. We had, you know, a hundred different instructors and some people were sick all the time. Right. And and some sometimes they were sick that morning, sometimes they were sick the day before. You know, they took vacation. Like <laughs> these are humans. And we had to figure out who to put in their spot. And it took me three years to come up with like a solid system you know like a really good system and i remember when we did and it was and it was working really well we hired a trainer from equinox and the equinox system at the time this must have been seven years ago was a reply all email for oh. subbing and oh, they have God. thousands of instructors yeah. every single studio owner to this day has a really hard time with things that you should not be trying to figure out how to sub your classes you should be trying to figure out how to get new clients how to build better programming right like what's what are the best playlists that are going to get people excited in the common area just things that that are unique to you not just how to add and subtract yeah. you know, it just felt like everything that we were figuring and and it was thousands of studios figuring out the same thing at the same time and that's what a fragmented industry is you know and that's the power of aggregating which is hard because it's fragmented but if but if you can do it and you can build that top line view then that's really really powerful and that's why i really believe in in being vertical to this industry we talked about using the word hack like smart cut whatever but like also talent hack integrates like a bunch of different systems right and technologies in order to allow a creator to not have to mess with all the different things at once right and so how did you figure out as a founder like at what point you launch a product versus like keep your head down and keep building because you know you want those feedback loops but it feels like talent hack was like a pretty completed product at launch so i'm just curious like do you do one thing and then kind of launch with an MVP? Or how did you think about building versus launching and being public and kind of your iteration feedback process? Um, that's a hard question because it's not a specific, it's not a playbook. You know, it's not like these are the four things that we need. We first launched with, actually pre-launch, it was huddles in my living room. I was inviting talent over and I would ask just what's it like being a professional in this industry. And it felt within minutes, it got the, the room would get really emotional. You know, people would start crying and very passionate people about this career. But it was it was hard. It was just really hard. So that was, you know, our focus groups turned into the first product that we launched was a job board. And that came from my necessity as I grew my brand to hire people. It was really hard to find people. You were posting on Craigslist 
focused on, you know, indeed getting hundreds of applications and one qualified lead that you couldn't hire. And so that was super frustrating for me. And I knew it was frustrating for the talent as well. And that was a really good way for us to start a top of funnel growth engine. At the time, you know, we we knew that we wanted to build vertical SaaS full stack for talent, but it was hard to decide where to start, to your point, Jordan. So we started with that product that grew very quickly. And that's really what allowed us kind of volume to start listening to people. And we monetized that product March 10th, 2020. So two days before the world shut down. Mm, And so within 48 hours, that product was completely irrelevant because everyone had shut down. No one was hiring. No one was looking for a job. But then we had a big community to listen to. And the first thing that we put together was education, how to launch your classes on social media, you know, how to go out on your own. And those courses informed our V0 of our product, which started with a, a system of record. You know, it was kind of the basic who comes, who went, you can buy a 10 pack, you can buy a class and we'll keep track of that while we built more of the of the marketing tech and these algorithms to drive adoption and help people with their client cycle. And I think at that point where we saw tech was they were building video and we just spoke to a ton of people and really tried to nail down, do you really need better video to enjoy class? Is like the sign up experience or is it the creator experience? You know, is it who is in front of you and how easy is it to book? And so a lot of the industry went to build video and we did a quick Zoom integration, great video, everyone has it on their phone and on their computer and really started to focus on helping talent actually make more money and not just to have a nicer video experience, which by the way, probably wouldn't have been nicer because Zoom has a lot more resources than we would have been able to pour into video. So we focused on value to the talent. And I think that that focus on what's going to drive success to them, I think focus in our industry is sometimes confused with do one thing. And for us, that hasn't been the case. It's been building multiple things, but with the same goal in mind, which is really adding value, success, you know, tangible success to the creator. What are things that we can build that are ultimately going to make them more successful? And so that's been our compass as we've built deep software with a, a ton of features. I think our, if you ask anyone on our team right now, it still doesn't feel complete. You know, We still have an unlimited roadmap ahead of us, but it feels like we really have been able to prioritize things really well. Yeah, that's that's a good lesson too because it's like probably a lot of companies were thinking like, oh, if we build like a really sophisticated video stack, like that'll be defensible and it'll be something that we can call our own and point to. But yeah, you, you identified, well, no, like customer focus is not the thing, right? Not technical tool focus, but like focus on like, what does the customer need? And then you had the urgency created by the pandemic of like, well, what they need, do they need in this specific instance, which ends up being like, just kind of like an amplification of what they need overall, right? I think it worked out really well. And I think you picked the right focus and direction, but it's probably because you come to it from the background of having worked in that industry, as opposed to like, maybe a lot of other people came from the technologist side and had, you know, an interest or like an enthusiasm for the fitness side, but that wasn't their specialty or their work history, right? Yeah, I think having been in the industry for a while and owning small studios and training and dealing with 6,000 clients, you know, in a week where half of them thought that the room was too hot, the other half thought it was 
too cold or that the playlist sucked or that it was the best playlist ever or the volume was too high or the volume was too low. It kind of teaches you what's the insight, you know, what's the truth in the chatter. And it's a complex industry. There's There are a lot of little wrinkles that I think are easily missed if you haven't just lived and breathed it for a while. I'm curious about your experience as a leader, you know, an entrepreneur, when you're looking at the studio business versus now and being in, in this business with Talent Hack and the tech business, like what kind of carried over and what was like a challenge for you to learn when you kind of switched modes there? Completely different businesses, mm-hmm. you know, building software to running brick and mortar operations. So, so I think that my day-to-day completely changed. The 10 years that I spent in brick and mortar, I think gave me all of the insight that I needed to answer Jordan's last question of how to know what to build and what's important when you have talent and clients pulling you in different directions. So I think that gave me the confidence, the, the industry knowledge to listen to my gut and make decisions as a leader. But day to day, I think I'm learning as I go. You know, I bootstrapped my fitness studios. I raised VC money for Talent Hack, different skill set, you know, totally new. I knew no one in the tech industry when I started this. So I think what translates is just the knowledge base and your management, right? I mean, I think I made all the management mistakes in my fitness studio, and now I feel like a much stronger leader this time around. But the day-to-day, the KPIs even, I've had to learn it in this job. Wait, so I do have I do have a closing question on my end, which is if your team were all to write down a word to describe you on a piece of paper, what three words do you think would appear the most? I have one which I know because I just did this exercise with them because I <laughs> I didn't know. And I'm working with a leadership coach and that was one of his first questions was, you know, what are you good at? And I was like, I can tell you all the things that I'm not good at. I have no <laughs> idea what I am good at. And obviously huge red flag. <laughs> you should know what you're good at. <laughs> That's really important as a CEO, but as a person in general. And it's, it's, it's leadership. It's inspiring them. I think I really believe in, in what we're building and people follow me to a fault. <laughs> so I have to make sure I administer that with, with a good, you know, head on my shoulders. And I think that what I am a mom of two of a three year old and a four year old. And I had Joaquin, who's almost five, really, as I was starting to think about this business. And early on, I, I decided as a mom, I'm not here to kind of teach him all the things and, and you know, put all of the knowledge in their brains. I'm here to become an expert on, on who they are as children so that I can help guide their decisions as they grow up. And, and that's how I think about everyone who works for me. I, I love really getting to know each person. I believe in them. I have I think everyone has immense potential and everyone has a superpower and it's my job to figure that out, you know, for everyone on my team. And once I'm able to uncover that superpower, once I become an expert in who they are, then I can really coach them to to reach their potential. And that's something that I really enjoy about my job, not just for my leadership team, but for for entire execution team. I love understanding them at their core. Like, what are they really good at? What are they scared of? You know, where can I push them? And that's what my team, I think, enjoys the most about me. Cool. That sounds great. I'd like that, Jordan. You should take notes, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I, I need your word, Daryl. <laughs> oh man. My word will end up being actually red flag, like, like that, not just red flag. <laughs> Good place to end. Well, thanks very much, Alexandra. It's been terrific talking to you. Talent Hack is amazing. You know, it's really changing the industry in in a way that I think is long overdue. So, yeah, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Jordan, what did you think of our chat with Alexandra? Are you ready to get your rest coaching business up and running? <laughs> rest coach. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I'm totally ready. I feel prepared. I feel like I have the software needed to be successful. I mean, some of the things that we didn't talk about with Alexandra, I don't have the exact thing in front of me, but there's something about Talent Hack being the biggest like early stage round that was given to or invested in female Latinx founder, which we like didn't talk about much, but like she has definitely made a pretty big splash upon entry into the tech world, all things considered. And I also liked her talking about the difference between running studios, which obviously gives her this, like, I think most investors look at it as a superpower. When you like come from the industry, you're going to go disrupt. It like outweighs a lot of other things. I think that they would look at if you were just like, oh, I'm going to just, I see this thing in the market and I'm just going to go do it without a lot of real world experience. But doing that versus running a tech company and like kind of what gets to copy and paste and what needs to be tailored and changed. And I thought that was an interesting bit of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Like, especially because like most of the investor side people, often they'll have like a lot of experience in one specific vertical, but like not the rest of it. So if you can say like, look, I did this thing and not only did I just like dip my toe into it, but I like did it for many years and was successful at it. It's like going to really help you get ahead. And I think it, it definitely helped Alexandra figure out this market inside and out and exactly what people need. Right. I also thought it was interesting talking to her about the because she's kind of seen both sides of the fence, like the tensions between trainers and then gyms that employ them and who owns the customer relationship and that kind of thing, which especially because she's offering a, a platform that like is a double sided marketplace. And also you are involved in that, too, right? Well, and like it's an interesting time, too, right? Because if you think about eight years ago, we had the big disruption with like class pass and mind body which is now like this mega firm. I think MindBody acquired ClassPass. Then you had like the second yeah. iteration of like fitness disruption, which was like the Pelotons and like then all, of, you know, the tonal and all of the stuff that kind of followed. There's like a million of them now. There's one for rowing and there's one for boxing and all this stuff. And now I think we're seeing this like convergence with TikTok and influencers and content creators and Twitch and all of that stuff and how that feeds into fitness and wellness in the wake of the pandemic and us all being home and like demand being up. And it's been a really for something that I haven't actually spent time thinking about now that I'm talking about it out loud, like the evolution of that industry has been pretty interesting to watch. And I think she's hitting on the right keys at the right time, you know, so it's definitely one to look out for. Yeah. And also not getting distracted by stuff that she was talking specifically about like how a lot of her competitors went into developing their own proprietary video technologies. And she like saw like, no, that's a distraction and it's a huge resource sink. And then when you come out with it, it's like, what do you have? You have like a commodity product that's available already on the market. And you're going to do it worse, right? Yeah. Whatever you're doing as a founder, it should be something that someone else doesn't provide or much better than someone else provides. You really should, uh, you know, otherwise buy it, loop it in and call it a day. Exactly. That's cool. And it's a good one for the new year because we'll be like 
getting our resolutions on like everyone always, right? That's still a thing. Do you have right? resolutions? I don't know. Do you do that? I mean, I don't usually, except for my perpetual resolutions of like stop being such a shit bag. But you know, I never really realized those. So I don't really do <laughs> resolutions either. I figure if I change at all happen organically i'm not gonna like tell it'll myself be for the worst. To, yeah and it'll be and i'll just get worse <laughs> Jesus. yeah that's probably true but good luck to everyone out there with resolutions hope you're crushing it and if you want to let us know let us know drop us a review like this you know max stars i'm back in my phase of forgetting how many stars there are so just fyi but the most that you can do and then just put in like here's my resolution uh, and then we'll maybe we'll read it on maybe it maybe a resolution is a to start one. a company maybe you'll be on the podcast this year who knows that could be a resolution yeah attainable i'll tell you that it is that's a smart goal found is hosted by myself TechCrunch news editor daryl etherington and TechCrunch managing editor jordan crook we are produced by Ashaq Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. And Maggie Stamets is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Our guest this week was Alexandra Bonetti, co-founder and CEO at Talent Hack. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and call and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.